frightened as me. He was poised to run, like a wild animal wanting food but unable to take it from a human hand. I had to be careful. A wrong movement and he... Hey! yelled Dad. It was just as if someone had turned out a light. The boy vanished in a twinkle. I didn't even see him go. Two. Dad and I sat up nearly all night talking about what had happened. It seems that a hermit called Lonely Pearson had once lived out here in a hut with his wife and son. The wife was an expert on bats, like Dad. Nine years ago, she died and Lonely became enraged with grief. Lonely did some mean things. He burnt everything that belonged to her, her books, her clothes, her photos of the bats, the lot. It was almost as if he was angry with her for dying and leaving him alone with his little five-year-old son, Philip. The only thing that was left was a green stone with a hole in it. Philip's mother had always worn it around her neck. He used to play with it while she read him stories at bedtime. After she died, Philip hid the stone. Lonely Pearson ranted and raved. He shouted and searched. He nearly tore their hut to pieces. But Philip wouldn't show him where it was. He closed his mouth and refused to speak. He kept his secret and Lonely never found the stone. So what happened to Philip? I asked Dad. He ran off into the bush. Lonely couldn't find him. No one could find him. The police searched for weeks and weeks. Then they gave up. Everyone thought he was dead. I took a deep breath. What about Lonely? I said. He spent every day searching for his son. He never gave up. Lonely died last year. I couldn't stop thinking about that sad, bewildered face staring at me in the moonlight. How can he live out here? I asked. It gets really cold at night and there's nothing to eat. Dad shook his head and turned down the kerosene lamp. That's enough for tonight, he said. You go to sleep. We have two days of climbing before we reach the bat cave. You are going to need all the rest you can get. But, I began. Good night, Rachel. I heard him zip up his sleeping bag. I was in Dad's tent. It was a bit of a squash, but Dad thought it was safer. Good night, I mumbled. I was thinking about the next night. I was going back to my own tent. I had no doubts about that. Three. The next day was hot and our packs were heavy. Dad and I struggled through the dense bush, down into wet gullies filled with fern trees and leeches, up dry rocky slopes through sharp scratching thorns, along trails where kookaburras called and cicadas filled the air with chirping. It was wonderful country, but my pack was heavy, and so was my heart. There was a sadness in the air. At times I thought I glimpsed a hidden watcher, but I could never be quite sure. I would turn quickly, a branch moved slightly, or did it? We stopped for lunch in a mossy glen. Dad passed me a piece of cake. It was starting to go stale. I wrapped it up and put it in my pocket. Not hungry? 
asked Dad. I'm keeping it for later, I replied. I was too, but not for me. I had plans for that bit of cake. We packed up and moved on. Sometimes we went up and sometimes down, but we were getting higher and higher. My dad was a greenie, and of all living things, he loved bats best. He was mad about them. We were heading for a bat cave in the mountain's highest tops, bat peaks. Dad was going to block off the entrance to the cave. The roof was beginning to fall in. If it collapsed, the whole colony of bats would be destroyed. But they will all starve, I had said when he first told me the plan. No, he had replied. We block the cave entrance at night when they are out feeding. They will be forced to find another cave. It's the only way to save the colony. So there we were, trudging up the mountain, on our way to blow up a bat cave before it collapsed and killed the bats. Dad had bats on his brain. But all I could think of was a boy called Philip. Four. That night we camped in a forest clearing. Our campfire crackled between a circle of stones. Overhead, the stars filled the cold night like a handful of sugar thrown at the sky. It didn't seem as if there could be anything wicked in the world. The gums were ghostly and grey. The ground was home to pebbles and thorns and ants. I shuddered at the thought of someone living out there, barefoot and alone. Dad crawled into his tent. "Go to sleep, Rachel," he said. "I'll just sit by the fire for a bit more," I told him. "You couldn't put much over Dad. He knew what I was up to." "He won't come," he said. He's wild and frightened. We'll call out a search party when we get back. I sat there alone, but not alone, as the fire crackled and tossed sparks into the arms of the watching treetops. The noises of the night kept me company. I stared into the dark fringes of the forest, watching for the watcher, waiting for the waiter, willing Philip to come. At last, the fire died, and I shared the dark blanket of the night with the unseen creatures of the bush. Quietly, I walked to the edge of the trees and broke off a piece of cake. I placed it on a rock. A few meters away, I did the same. I made a trail of cake leading to the edge of the dying fire. Then I sat and waited. Minutes passed, and hours. The moon slowly climbed behind the clouds. I struggled to keep my eyes open, but failed. You can only fight off sleep for so long. Then it wins, and your head droops, and your eyes close. That's what happened to me. How long I dozed for, I don't know. But something woke me. Not a noise, nothing from the forest, more like a thought or a dream, or the memory of a woman's voice. I woke with a start and stared around the clearing. Something was different. Something was missing. The first piece of cake—it was gone. At that moment, I half saw two things. High in a tree, off to one side, was a shadowy figure, watching from a branch, and on the edge of the clearing was someone else. I was sure it was Philip. 
It was. He cautiously crept forward into the open. Shadows fell across his body. He was still dressed like a beggar. Hundreds of flapping rags hung from his body. The boy's eyes darted from side to side. He looked first at the cake and then at me. He crept forward a few steps and bent and picked up the cake. The moon slid out from its hiding place. And Philip stood there, revealed. For a moment I couldn't take it in, couldn't make sense of what my eyes were telling me. His rags flapped in the breeze, but the night was still and there was no breeze. They were alive. His rags seethed and crawled and squeaked. The wild boy was covered in bats. They hung from his arms and hair and chest. He was dressed in live bats. I couldn't believe it. Only his eyes were clear. His beautiful, dark eyes. I gave a scream and staggered backwards. Five. The movement alarmed Philip and he threw his arms across his face. He was like a living book with its grey pages ruffling in a storm. Two bats flew up into the air and swooped under the trees. Philip looked at me in fear and then up at the circling bats. Without a word, he held his hands up to his mouth and started to whistle softly. The bats in the trees flew straight back and attached themselves to his hair. The others became calm. Sorry, I said in a hoarse voice. I didn't mean to scare you. There were lots of things I wanted to say. My stomach felt strange. I could feel myself blushing. I wanted to say something tender, something caring, something that would make us friends.